Last Sunday, we finished a series where we spent two and a half years in the Gospel of Matthew and then looked at ways Jesus shepherded the disciples, preparing them for life without Him. And we get to this event that we often glance over, but it is significant. It has massive significance for the rest of human history. There's a lot of significance to this week in the history of the church. Being a non-denominational church, which we are, we don't recognize or remember things on the church calendar or what's known as the liturgical calendar, unless it's Easter or Christmas. We do a good job keeping up with those, but beyond that, we don't. This Thursday, around the world, Christians will recognize Ascension Day. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, so go ahead and turn there as well as... Um, we'll, we'll, we'll peek at the end of the Gospel of Luke. We go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. We look at the significance of the ascension. And then I want to spend some time talking about where we're going in this new series. So let's look, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father." which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word that you've entrusted to us. We don't want to take it for granted, Lord. Today, we want to honor you as we look to it and listen to you through it. We pray for your help. Pray for your blessing. You're good, Lord, and you do good. We're so grateful for Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat.
verses 1 and 2 in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. We just finished the Gospel of Matthew, and we saw all of this from his account. Luke is the writer of both Luke and Acts, and he sets out to give an orderly account of what Jesus did. The book... uh, The first book that he wrote is what we refer to as the Gospel of Luke. It continues, he presented himself, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, up until this point is everything Luke has already said, either in Luke chapter 24 or here, appearing to them. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them. We just looked at that for the last month. That's what we've been looking at these last several weeks. Jesus appearing to Peter and the other disciples, to the women, two on the road to Emmaus, to a crowd of at least 500 according to 1 Corinthians. And now here in the text, Luke zooms in on the disciples up close as Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. And so it says in verses 4 and 5, and while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, He's been preparing them for this for years through His teaching, through His time with Him. This hasn't happened yet. He's referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that will happen days after at Pentecost. So again, Jesus is preparing them, even in His last moments, preparing them in this significant time of His departure. Verses 6 and 7, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. So, the the disciples are still not understanding completely. They they don't necessarily really know or understand what's about to take place. They're thinking that maybe this is it. This is is what they've been waiting for all along. They won't have to go without Him. No, He's going to set up His kingdom on earth now and reign over not just His enemies, but their enemies. And Jesus responds, that's not for you to know. In other words, do what I've left you to do. And let the Father work out the details of His perfect plan and when He will return. And then He will establish His kingdom. Verses 8 and following, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's gone. And they're still looking, gazing, 
You wonder, what are they thinking in this moment as they see Jesus ascend into heaven? Are they waiting? Like, are they just staring, waiting for the next thing? Is there going to be a big flash or, or something that's going to happen? Is the Spirit coming right now? And they're standing, they're just standing there looking, not knowing what is going to happen next. And then, boom, two angels are there. It's incredible. It has to, I mean, it has to be frightening, right? I mean, it has to be like jarring to say the least. They've experienced a lot. I mean, Jesus walking through doors, all of this, just being in their midst. They've experienced a lot, but it, it's, I just don't, it's not what you get used to, I'm sure, right? These angels are there. And what these two angels say forms a doctrine of the church. Why do you stand looking? This same Jesus who you saw ascend will come back the same way you saw him go. It's wonderful. It's hopeful. And it shapes how we anticipate the coming of Jesus back to this earth. Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, how many times as they're walking this day-long journey, how many times did they look in the sky just wondering, just in case? What are they feeling like on this journey back without Jesus? And when they entered Verse 13, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So They go up and they pray. What else could they do? They just, they just watched Jesus glorified, ascend into heaven, and they're told to wait for the coming of the Spirit. And so they go and they gather together, the eleven, the women disciples, maybe Mary and Martha and Susanna and others, and Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers, who must have been experiencing an indescribable mix of grief and hope. And they devote themselves to prayer. They don't even know what to expect exactly, but they pray and they wait. I want to spend some time looking at the significance of this. The significance of Jesus' ascension into heaven. I mentioned before, this is a neglected event so often in churches like ours. But it's incredibly significant. It's incredibly important for us as followers of Jesus. And so, four things that the, the ascension accomplishes. Four things that the, ascen the ascension accomplishes. And we can look at more, okay? But these are, these are the four I want to cover today. The first is this. Jesus ascends so the Holy Spirit could come. You consider what Jesus has told them already about this and how He's prepared them. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, which is the ascension account in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed 
with power from on high. And before that, preparing them, John 7, verses 38 and 39, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then a little later in, in John 14, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And then especially as it relates to our point of Jesus ascending so that the Holy Spirit could come, John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's Jesus talking. It's to your advantage that I leave. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, surely the disciples didn't feel that way. It must have been hard for them to, to believe that. To believe that it was better for the person of Jesus to be gone from them. But it was true. And they're going to experience the reality of that in a few days. The reality of the blessing of Christ's ascension. The Holy Spirit will come. Second, we see that Jesus ascends so that many will worship Jesus and witness to Jesus. Jesus ascends so that many will worship to Him and witness to Him. You know what the disciples did immediately after his ascension, after they, they were staring in the sky for a bit? Luke chapter 24, verses 51 through 53 tell us, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They worshiped him. Because Jesus not only ascends into heaven, He ascends to the right hand of the Father, high and exalted. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the ascension also marks the commissioning of the disciples as witnesses to Jesus. Jesus ascends so that, that we worship Him, but also so that we witness to Him. We see that in verse 8. The disciples are given the Spirit so that they might testify to Jesus. 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When the Spirit is sent, Jesus says in John 15, He will testify about me. It's a gift that we have in the Holy Spirit. He testifies to us about Jesus. And because the disciples received the Spirit, He continues and tells them, you also must testify. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father so that many will worship Him and witness to Him. Third, Jesus ascends so that we will have a mediator. And we cannot begin to overstate the importance of this. We have a mediator. Jesus is doing right now what He was doing after He ascended when the disciples watched Him go into heaven. He is interceding for you. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus' presence in heaven as a literal, physical man in a human body, while also fully divine and one with His Father, gives us confidence that we will be accepted when we approach God. We have that hope because of the ascension of Jesus. He is there on your behalf. He prayed for His disciples and He continues that necessary ministry for you and for me. He continues to make intercession for His church. One catechism that I read this week asks, what does Jesus do for you as He sits at the Father's right hand? To which it answers, because Jesus intercedes for us as our great high priest, I may now boldly approach the Father and offer my confession praises, thanksgiving, and requests to Him. Paul writes in Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, consequently, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. That is what Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father on your behalf, interceding for you. And lastly, fourth, Jesus ascends so that He would come back. Jesus ascends so that He would come back. This Jesus, the angels say, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will return in the same way, and more importantly, he is the same Jesus. What a blessing the ascension of Jesus is. Today, here is how Coptic Christians, the Egyptian Orthodox Church, celebrates. During the season of ascension to Pentecost, from that from those days, they are prohibited from fasting because it is a season of joy. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. The Anglican Church, here's what is recited, the prayer 
for Ascension Day from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens that He might fill all things, mercifully give us faith to perceive that. According to His promise, He abides with His church on earth even to the end of the ages through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Going back to the 5th century, Bishop Maximus of Turin explained the ascension this way, the mystery of the Lord's ascension, dear brothers, has ordained today's festival. Let us rejoice that the only begotten of God came to earth for the redemption of all, and let us be glad that He entered heaven for our immortality. For this is the truth of our saving faith, that we believe in His passion and do not deny His glory, nor indeed is the essence of the miracle such that He who came from heaven returned to heaven, but that He brought to the Father the manhood which He had assumed from the earth. The earth rejoices when it sees its Redeemer reigning in the heavens. Heaven is glad because it has not lost its God which it had and has received the manhood which it had not. Beautiful. As we consider that, the ascension and this writing from the past, I want to speak to where we are headed in this summer series. You consider verse 8 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I want to ask you a question. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to what? I mean, the church is left without the physical incarnation of the Lord. So, what did they unite around? What do they witness Two. Not only that, but there isn't a written word yet. There's no New Testament. And there won't be for hundreds of years. And we can see that Acts is filled, the, the book of Acts is filled with people telling others wrong things. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about Priscilla and Aquila needing to pull Apollos aside to correct his doctrine. So it's important that these commissioned witnesses have something to say, something to believe. That's why we see the very first church council is actually recorded in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. They gather to discuss and resolve issues. What is orthodox? What isn't orthodox? Later, we see what seems to be Paul saying something that Timothy already knew, a creed or a confession, perhaps. 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And even that last part, taken up in glory, he ascended. Jesus says, be my witnesses. The gospel is going to spread. I mean, we see that. It's going to spread. The 
It's sort of like a game of telephone. Have you ever played telephone? It can get pretty jacked up. Now you get to the end, you're like, I said dog. You just recited the national anthem. Like, it could get pretty messed up. And so if, if we don't have a unified something, the message is going to get jumbled and wrong. And that is why over these next weeks through this summer, we're going to study the creeds. Now, some of you, even as I say that, some of you may feel uneasy with creeds because you associate them with a background that's connected to a Catholic church or Episcopal church or something else. But I want to assure you that church history is our history. And I want to say that again because it's important. Church history is our history. Without the church fathers gathering and arguing and affirming what is true doctrine and what is heresy, where would we be? What would the church look like? We need these things. Now, I want to also say to you, this series is not going to be easy for me. I'm reading and learning a lot. It has been six years since I graduated seminary where I studied these things as part of the seminary training there. And that was the first time I studied those things. I didn't grow up in a context where we even considered or knew creeds, <laughs> knew what they were. But truthfully, we tend to be ignorant of church history. The, the truth is we pick up our Bible and don't even know where it came from or, or when it came from. I think sometimes we just think these disciples were handed little New Testaments and kind of just trotted off from the ascension and did what they were told to do. There won't be a written word for hundreds of years. We skip from the end of the New Testament and pick up at or after the Reformation. And we assume that there are issues that come up today that haven't been faced and addressed before. Or we make things issues that shouldn't be issues in the scope of things. And we toss around the word heresy far too casually. Not realizing that saints before us put their literal lives on the line to protect the church from true heresy. And so we're going to look at three important ancient creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, and the core beliefs we find there, core beliefs that align with the Holy Scriptures and were preserved by the witnesses and through the creeds until the Scriptures were completed and confirmed. They are a gift. They're a gift. And my hope is that our faith is renewed and strengthened as we study them throughout the summer. Now we're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together, which too is a gift to us, a reminder to us of who Christ is and what He has done. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, 
took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a gift that the Lord has entrusted to us, a sacrament, a reminder of what he has done and how he has saved us. And Paul tells us as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the news of the gospel through our actions. And we hope on his return in the same way that he left. Paul also reminds after that that we're not to take this in an unworthy manner. And so I want to encourage you again. If you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then as you're dismissed, as people are dismissed to come and, and receive the bread and receive the cup at the front and take it back to your seats, then if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then just let others go forward and, 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 and come back and just take that time to pray. Seek the Lord or consider the things we've talked about. Is, is there really someone that came to this earth, God in the flesh, and really did ascend before people's eyes, having been raised from the dead? And if that happened, if that really is history, which it is, if that really is history, what does that mean? What's the significance of that for your life? And Jesus says, all who come are welcome. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, so I'd encourage you to just take the time to entrust yourselves to the Lord and ask Him. Just simply ask, show me. Show me that you're real. Show me that you are and help me to follow you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're good and every single thing you do is good, Lord. We're unworthy of all that you have done and all that you've accomplished. And Lord, we, we want to know you. We want to know you more. We want to know the truth about you. We want to know the significance of who you are. and We want to know the significance of, of truth and, and the gospel. And, and so help us, Lord, not just right now, but in these next several weeks, Lord, as we look at these creeds and, and what has been um, thought through and, and wrestled through and, and what is truth. Father, help us to embrace who you are, the greatness of your name. Give us a love for you, Father, in these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.